This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, Bridgeway. It's great to see you here today. Good to be together. I want to welcome you here, as well as those of you who are joining us at Church Online, Church at Home. As Justin said, I'm excited to kick off this brand new series this morning on the Holy Spirit. But before I do, just a couple of just quick announcements. And the first, Justin, I think he's so excited. We both wanted to share this. It's just such a praise to see our church just engaged in serving our community yesterday. I got to tell you, um, there were well over 70 people involved in projects happening here for hand-to-hand, as well as at Green Acres Retirement Home, Degage down in Grand Rapids. Uh, I got a few of the facts from Pastor Mike. Uh, we put together over 707 uh, packages for hand-to-hand. Those are going to go into homes this week, as well as $380 of cans were turned in for Bridge of Hope. So just overall, just a huge, huge day. And just as your pastor, I wanted to just thank you. I know someone had said to me that um, it was just electric. They could drive upon this building and see a parking lot full on a Saturday morning and knowing that there were people serving in our community. So would you put your hands together and thank those that brought that event to us, put it together. So, so good. All right, now for my my next update, now that I've got you all buttered up, um, I wanted to make you aware of something. We actually received uh, a bit of news from the Rockford Police Department. I got your attention now, don't I? (laughs) They actually have received some complaints about speeding on Childsdale. Now, I know, you hear that news, I immediately got defensive. What are you talking about? There's all kinds of businesses down here on Childsdale now. We're not the only business here, and there's other churches within earshot of our building, and I just had to pause for a moment and remember that our calling is to be a good neighbor, and so um, we've received these in the past when we first moved in, uh, just the feeling as though as things have kind of expanded in this area, certainly the traffic has as well. Um, It's impossible to argue with anonymous critics Uh, But we can check our speed, and so I just simply, as your pastor, wanted to bring that news to you. I don't know if they're going to be policing these roads more, but they have correlated the speeding to Sunday morning. I'll be honest, no judgment zone. It's probably me. It's probably me racing to get here on Sunday, but I thought we could all check our speed, give an announcement so you don't get a big, huge ticket. If you do get pulled over and you want to have a little fun, just tell the cop you were on your way to magnify. Just You know, just tell them, I'm kidding, just joking around, just kidding. Just have a little fun, no. Um, As I said, eager to jump into our message today, and it's really this idea. Let me begin with this question. How many of you see this title, and you're like, oh, pastor, finally. I know so much about the Holy Spirit. In fact, pastor, why don't you just move out of the way? I'll come up there. How many of you feel really confident about talking about the Holy Spirit? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, probably not, right? I mean, you see a topic like this, and it's sort of like Holy Spirit, Bigfoot. I mean, they're the same, right? Like, you know, you've heard of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard other people talk about their experiences with the Holy Spirit. But for you, it's a little bit of a, it's a rumor. It's something that you have a hard time relating to. And in many ways, I I get it. I, I think I've figured out over the years that it's really hard to try to talk about something that is entirely spiritual. In fact, to even have a topic like this, it means that we're going to have to engage some of the mystery of our Christian faith. And that's maybe hard for us because 
it's hard to relate to something that's entirely spiritual. In fact, you can relate to so many things. If I were to ask you, you know, like, hey, what's, what's work like for you? If I were to ask you what's work like, you'd, you'd tell me you have a relationship with work. You know, you're, you're grinding. You know, you're just working hard. You're trying to carve out your place in the world. You have a relationship with your work. If I were to ask you about your favorite food, you have a relationship with food, right? You'd, you'd tell me, oh, I love sushi, or I love Mexican, or I love all food, right? Or maybe you'd tell me about your diet. I eat super clean. I'm, I'm vegan, or I'm a carnivore, or I'm keto, and, and you, you have like a relationship with food. Or maybe it's exercise. If I asked you about, you know, what, what do you do to stay in shape? And, and you tell me, you know, I lift weights, or I do CrossFit, or I run, or maybe you're the person that says, I hate those people that run. That's your relationship with exercise. But you have some sort of relationship, and I want to challenge you in this series to begin to define what that relationship is with the Holy Spirit. In fact, just one question today that I want to delve into is, what's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? And it's a bit of a spiritual exercise, but it's also a thought exercise, because you're probably sitting there thinking, well, okay, pastor, I'm, I'm really clear about my relationship with God. God is my father, and I'm really clear about my relationship with Jesus. Jesus is God's son. He's my savior. But then it comes to this other area, this Holy Spirit. What's your relationship to the Holy Spirit? In many ways, talking about the Holy Spirit is, is really kind of starting to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. Really big word, uh, but Trinitarianism is what we're sort of engaging in. And I went to seminary twice, and I actually this week looked over all the confessions and papers that I had to write in seminary about the Holy Spirit, and I found them to be entirely useless in preparing this message this morning. Because a lot of times you approach a topic like this, and it's all about information. How do I figure this thing out, this Holy Spirit, this mystery. And it's easy. In fact, you know, you could read a book, you could read the papers I've written, and probably be left, like I am, with more questions than answers. And I know how it works. We want to try to understand. We want to try to explain this. So uh, going to seminary, there were all these, like, analogies that people would use to try to explain the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of the most famous analogies is the egg analogy. Use an egg to try to explain God, right? Because God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And hey, so is an egg, right? You've got a shell and a yolk and an egg white. Now, let me just tell you, you should already be feeling like you're on dangerous ground, right? You've just compared God to a chicken, right? Like, just go there with me. That's what you've done in this analogy. And if that's not enough, you start thinking about this, and I don't know, maybe you're thinking omelets this morning, and you're mixing up your egg, and, and I would already challenge you, like, well, wait a minute, you mean to tell me you mix the shell in with your omelet? You'd be, of course not, pastor. Oh, so you separate that out, right? Well, you can see this analogy falls apart completely, because how do you separate God? See, the Holy Spirit is working. It's this essence. It's all working together. In fact, one of the heresies in the early church was doing just this, thinking of God as just three distinct beings that you could separate. We call it modalism. It's a terrible heresy. Sometimes people say, well, God is like water. You know, water's in, in a liquid form, in a vapor, in a solid. And if you think about that, that misses the mark too, because what you're saying is that God changes. And we know that God is immutable. God does not change. I share this with you because I think this becomes our problem. We try to 
relate God to things that we know, and there are some things about God that just have to kind of stay in the realm of mystery. And in fact, instead of trying to explain God, which is sort of like trying to explain the internet to an ant, instead of explaining it, I think this series, what I really want for us is to experience the Holy Spirit, to move beyond just trying to explain with our knowledge to, to really an experience with God. And to do that, I, I want to do something a little unique, something I don't think I've ever done before, and that's center us in one book, actually one chapter of the Bible, and it's in Romans. So if you've got a Bible this morning or your favorite Bible app, I would love for you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We're actually going to camp out here for the next several weeks. And uh, Romans, if you're trying to find it in the Bible, it's in the New Testament, so it's towards kind of the back of your Bible. Uh, I don't give page numbers because every Bible's got a different page in it, uh, if it's yours or the church's. And it's right after the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. It's very strategic, the way it's been placed there. Uh, the Gospels are all about the life of Jesus. Acts is all about the church starting. And Romans is really the theology that we settle into on what the church, what our faith believes. I'll tell you a little bit about the book of Romans. It's written by a guy named Paul. Actually, Paul started out, uh, he wasn't Paul, his name was Saul, and he went through about the first half of his life uh, not believing in the Spirit of God. Uh, he had kind of compartmentalized God to something yet to happen, someone yet to come. And he went through uh, kind of this first century, and anyone who claimed that they were a Christian, he persecuted them. He was more of a jihadist. He literally killed Christians because Christians were sort of a, a name that was equated to little Christ, little Messiah. And he could not believe that someone could think that they were a little Christ, a little Messiah. And so he would kill them until in a moment when God got a hold of him, the Spirit struck him down to the ground, blinded him, and literally said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against this movement of the Spirit of God? And it changed him. He goes from Saul to Paul and goes from jihadist to evangelist, starts sharing this message of Jesus all throughout the world, all throughout Turkey and Syria and Greece. He ends up writing about one-third of the New Testament. And this book, Romans, is probably his deepest, most profound work that we're about to read. And it's deep. It's a deep and thick read. In fact, uh, reading the book of Romans is kind of like asking for a cup of water and being plunged into the middle of the ocean. It's, it's technical. It's got words and languages that are maybe going to be a little new to you this morning. And some would say what we're doing here in this series is a little bit of an impossible task. In fact, uh, preachers that preach through the book of Romans would go much slower, and they would start at the beginning. In fact, a really famous preacher, a guy by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've read a number of his books, he actually preached through the book of Romans to his church, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, it took him seven years to preach the Romans. Uh, another guy, more modern guy, by the name of John Piper, uh, he preached 49 sermons on Romans chapter 8 alone. I'm giving you three sermons. You're welcome, right? Like, you'll thank me when we're done. It's technical, but it's really intended for us to dig in to what God has in our faith and how this spirit relates to us. So what we're going to do is read Romans 8. We're going to read the first eight verses, then I'm going to go back and kind of start with the first verse. If you like sermons that kind of go verse by verse, you picked a great day to be here with us at Bridgeway. Romans 8, starting in verse 1. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life 
has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. All right, that's a lot. That's a mouthful. That's probably three sermons just in those eight verses. But remember this morning, we're just trying to answer this question. What's your relationship to the Holy Spirit? And this chapter starts off as kind of a turning point in the book, and it's really, really good news. In fact, we go back to the first verse, and you can see, therefore, he's making a turn. He's kind of changing the direction of what he's been talking about. And he makes this, this incredible statement. He says, there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Paul's kind of laying out for you what this relationship with God looks like. And it's really good news. No condemnation. Now, let me just kind of define the word condemnation for you. To be condemned is when an authority judges you guilty and then renders a punishment. And this happens all the time, right? I mean, there's always somebody in a position of power over you that deems you to be guilty and then punishes you. In fact, there's formal and informal ways this happens. I was talking a few minutes ago about a police officer that might pull you over. Isn't that the worst feeling, right? When you're driving and then all of a sudden those lights come up behind you and you just, right, your stomach just sinks, just a pit in your stomach. And here's the deal. There's an authority, right? And how many of you are effective at getting out of a speeding ticket or getting pulled over, right? Like you try as you may, you've got all your like things ready to say, like, I'm just keeping up with traffic, right? I'm just going with the speed of traffic. Or, or oh, I can't believe they got me. You should have got the one in front of me. And, and maybe you do this. Like, I was only going, you know, nine over, right? I, I was just under that, that, you know, that magical limit, right? And what happens? You still get a ticket, right? You're rendered guilty and you're punished. There's all sorts of systems, formal and informal. We have informal ways in which we sort of police the people around us, right? I mean, this happens in peer groups and networks of people. If one person kind of tries to stray, maybe you've got like a way in which you want to live your life, you've got your values, and you're, you're trying to base them off of what God is teaching you, and, and you try to push against kind of the structure, the friend group, maybe the network of people. And if that group doesn't like it, what do they do? They, they punish you. They isolate you. They cancel you in our culture today. We see it all the time. We see it maybe in our places of work, right? We see the people that kind of go with everything and those that maybe push against sort of the system. And if you push too far, right, I mean, your boss has some authority over you. And this whole text is kind of reminding us that God is the ultimate authority. And God's role is to judge unrepentant sinners. But here's the good news. Now... There is no condemnation. I love that language. He's making sure you know that it's not someday there's no condemnation. Like when you get to heaven, there's no condemnation. He's saying right now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I got to say, I, uh, I, I really loved 
Pastor Mike's message from last week talking about worship. And, and really, Mike kind of took you on a journey of, of going kind of from like general to specific. He looked at how the world is designed in a way in which you can't help but not worship. You see a sunset. You, you see, he described all these crazy animals, you know, like howler monkeys got a shout out in a message last week. I love that. The dog got a shout out in the message last week. But then Mike mentioned the cat, and I, just, I thought I would just say publicly, Mike's performance review is coming up soon, so I'll work on Mike's theology later, but all these things, and yet here's another reason to go from general to really specific. I mean, really specific. You want to worship. Worship a God who doesn't hold condemnation over you. I mean, is God not so good to just release you from that? But here I tell you that this morning, and yet I know that for many of you, I could say it 10 more times. There's now no condemnation. I, I could look everyone in the eyes and I could say it 100 times in this room. And yet the question becomes, why is it that we still feel condemned? I mean, right? Like, why is it maybe we don't use that language? Why do I feel unworthy? Why do I feel guilty? And maybe not now. Now's good, right? It's a great place. You're here. You're with friends. You're hanging out with your family. But, but Tuesday, why, why do I feel this condemnation kind of building up, right? And I think uh, over the years, just being a pastor, I've been doing this for a long time now, I think, I think I've seen something, and I've kind of come to recognize that condemnation, kind of in the form that we maybe can't always name it, but condemnation is the number one killer of spiritual growth. And, and sort of just talking to people and trying to help people and kind of trying to sort my own life out, I, I've observed that even though God says this and speaks this as truth, we we still buy into these narratives of condemnation. In fact, I, I think there's three ways in which we kind of don't hear God's word and still feel condemned. In fact, uh, the first way, why do I still feel condemned? I think the first way is, is self-condemnation. Some of you are really good at beating yourself up. And it's like this tape that just gets played over and over and over. I'm not good enough. I've made too many mistakes. I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, whatever that tape is, you just keep playing and playing and playing those words. And it doesn't matter what God says, you have this death spiral of your own narrative. And what I would say to you this morning is, not only do you need this Holy Spirit, but you need to trust it. You need to trust that the Spirit of God is alive in you and that these words are true. There's no condemnation. Some of you, it's not yourself, it's not self-commendation, it's sort of other people. I call them excavators, right? They're people that are really good at digging up your past. And maybe they're people from your past. Maybe they're people you haven't spent a lot of time with. But then you're around them, and, and they always want to go back. They want to go back to the, like, the worst version of you. Like, oh, remember that time? Remember our freshman year in college? And you're like, no, I'm, I'm trying to kind of, you know, grow past those moments. And, and yet they, they kind of back the backhoe up, and they start digging at our life. And they remind us of things that, hey, God has set you free from that. You, you don't have condemnation from that anymore. And, and, you know, maybe it can happen not just from people in our past, but I see it happen in homes. I see it happen in marriages. I, I see it in sort of the fractures of marriages where someone will say, you know, they'll say words that are very decisive, like you always and you never. And they bring up the past. And it's just a miss in this condemnation. I think not only do you need to trust the Spirit of God, but you need to rely on the power of God that's alive and working in your life. And then finally, the list is really probably topped by our spiritual enemy, the devil. That we have an enemy that 
continually condemns us. In fact, this is the work of Satan. Places like John 8, remind us that the enemy is a liar, that he wants nothing more than for you to believe the lie that you're unforgivable and unworthy and unlovable. That's the work of Satan. In fact, places like Revelation 12, verse 10, tell us that he's an accuser, that he stands before our Heavenly Father and accuses us day and night of all these things. And again, the reminder is, the truth is, there's no condemnation. None of these hold power over you unless you let them. In fact, this is what Paul is trying to get at. And this morning, I think for some of you, this is the message. To just get crystal clear on where that condemnation is coming from, just to kind of name it and say, look, this has no power over me. It has no power because of this next verse, Romans 8, verse 2. You should underline, this is really good news. It's because of this, that Christ's law, the Spirit who gives life, has set you free. If you're wondering what the work of the Holy Spirit is, it's to do this. It's to be a constant reminder that you've been set free. You've been set free to live free. And in the times and the ways and the places that you go that you don't feel free, you need to be reminded of this, that the Spirit has set you free. And then he's going to go on to talk about how this freedom has to do with three areas, the law, the flesh, and your mind. And it gets really technical. This is where that reading kind of gets a little thick all throughout Romans, but especially here. Because he's trying to show you how these three things work and how you have freedom. But it starts with this first one, the law. Um, when you think of the law, think of rules, right? Like, show of hands, how many of you are rule keepers? Come on, raise your hands. I know you want to. You're a rule keeper, right? Like, you got to raise your hand because you love keeping the rules. And that means that by nature, the rest of you are what? You're rule breakers, right? I'm not raising my hand. I don't care what Baldy up there says, right? Like, there's just no way you're raising your hand. And and it doesn't really matter whether you're a rule keeper or about 40% of the population are rule breakers, Seems like we have more than that here at Bridgeway. But anyways, there's a lot of rule breakers. It doesn't matter. Rules are just, they're just social contracts, right? I mean, they're boundaries that we define ourselves by. And what he's saying here is there's nothing really in the law that's going to lead you in the path of life. I don't want to be PTSD for any of you, but, but let's just go back to a real rule-oriented time, right? COVID. I mean, I don't want to like bring this all back, but do you remember how we were so laden with rules, and I don't know anyone, I'm not here to argue for or against any of those rules, but I'll just, I'll be the first one to say it got old, right? Like all the rules got old, whether it was mask wearing, whether it was keeping six feet, washing your hands, using sanitizer, like it all got old. And in fact, you could sense it in the culture, right? Because people started to push against us. They, they were tired of these rules. I mean, did you fly a plane at all during COVID? I mean, people were pushing against the rules. They got so tired of it. And it's because of this. Look at what Paul says next about the law in verse 3. He says, for what the law was powerless to do. When it comes to actually changing a person's life, the law is powerless because it was weakened by the flesh. Now he's going to head into the area of the flesh, but just kind of this idea of the law. It's a loaded statement. I mean, the religion which Christianity comes out of is Judaism. And Judaism is entirely based on the law, Torah, 613 laws of Torah. And not just Judaism, you look at Islam. Islam is an entirely rule-based religion. There's 500 verses of Sharia law. And what he's saying here is all this law, it's powerless. It has no impact on your life. It cannot change you because you have this thing called your flesh. It's weakened by the flesh. Now, flesh here is a really interesting word 
In the Greek language, it's the word sarx. It just means humanity, which means that all of us have this. We all have this nature of flesh, this nature of sin that resides in our flesh. And your flesh is going to die. In fact, your flesh is dying as we speak. Literally, cells are dying and sloughing off of you. Do you know that in a seven-year period of time, every cell in your body turns over? In fact, bummer alert, like that's how you age. Your cells die and they regenerate, and they don't regenerate as good as they were the last seven years ago. And that's kind of the whole aging process. And this shouldn't surprise us, but what he's saying here is if we're real honest, that our, our flesh will never bring us into this spiritual union with God. It will always fall short. That's your flesh. And here's really the big idea what he's getting at in this book. He's saying that without Jesus, without his perfect sinless life, and without the Spirit of God sealing you in a relationship with him, you're nothing more than zombie flesh. You're nothing more than the walking dead. Your flesh is death. The laws that you base your life on are worthless. It's just zombie material without the Spirit of God living inside of you. You're just unregenerate. You have the law, you have the flesh, they both fail you. But praise God for what the Spirit does in this last area, your mind. Look at verse 5 here for a moment. He says, those that live according to this flesh, this death, they have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. And this is the opportunity that we all have. Herein lies the choice. We can set our minds on what the flesh desires, our appetites, our addictions, our cravings, our trivial pursuits, or we can set our minds on what the Spirit desires. And this is the answer to the question, what's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? And it all has to do with how you set your mind on his activity and his work in your life. In fact, I was thinking this week about how so much of our world today is, is really about this slide. It's about, it's about our minds, right? I mean, think about how so much in our culture is about mindfulness and setting your minds on the right thing. In fact, really good book uh, that I'm reading right now is Mindset by Carol Dweck. And Carol, she's looking at this from kind of more of a secular standpoint. Like, how do, you, how do you set your mind in the right direction so that you're successful as a parent and successful in work and business and you're successful in whatever your, your pursuits are, your athletics? And she goes on to say that it's really a choice between having a fixed mindset and having a growth mindset. And this fixed mindset is sort of like a limit based on your talent, that you'll only go as far as your talent, your skill, your ability will take you. And you'll cap out there. In fact, she tells really interesting stories about athletes and, and celebrities. But she tells one about uh, John McEnroe that I thought was so interesting. John McEnroe, great tennis player from the past. And, and I never thought of this, but she described McEnroe as a person with incredible talent, but a fixed mindset. Think about John McEnroe. He was always arguing with the umpires, right? He, he was always upset about the call. He was always kind of frustrated, always had an excuse, never in a good mood. In fact, there was one time he was in a championship, he was losing, and he blamed it on the sawdust that they were using that he had access to to dry his hands off. In fact, the sawdust was too coarse, so he yelled at his coach, his coach yelled at the trainer, the trainer yelled at some, like, worker at the stadium who had to rush out, get a two-by-four, grind it extra fine so the, you know, sawdust would be super fine for him, rushed it during the match to the court side for John McEnroe, and he still lost the match, right? And that's what happens when we have this fixed mindset, and we have our minds just kind of fixed in what we believe about God, we limit ourselves, and my challenge and my hope for our church this morning is that we would have this, this spiritual growth mindset. 
that even if the Spirit of God seems mysterious and seems unpredictable, that we would allow our minds to be open and to have our minds set on Him, on the Spirit of God moving among us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and Eli and the team are going to lead us in this time. And I just wanted to give, just as a community, just some space for you to kind of begin to answer that question for yourself. What's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? And as a team plays, uh, you're going to be invited to stand and worship. But as I pray for you, uh, I just want you to close your eyes and maybe bow your head and just simply allow yourself to think about what this relationship with the Holy Spirit is for you. In fact, as you're sitting here this morning, I believe that as our bodies kind of lead, our minds will follow. And so maybe this morning, you just simply kind of sit there and you just kind of, just, you know, maybe open your hands up. You put your hands kind of open, palms up, just kind of rest them on your lap as you're sitting there this morning. And may that just be a visual reminder that the Spirit of God wants to come in and indwell every part of your life. If you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, I want to say just here in this place, we are open. That we have a mindset of growth and we are fixed on your Spirit of God. And while it might seem unpredictable and confusing, God, my prayer this morning, very simple prayer, is just very simply to say, Spirit, come. Spirit, come. Would you come and just wash over us? Would you be that wind that rushes through us? And would you do what only your word promises, that you would come and you would, you would come and dwell inside of us. And that same spirit, that same power that gives life to Jesus would give life to every single one of us. God, I pray as we, as we just go down this path of walking with you, that your spirit would be just a reminder to us. There's no condemnation, not for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. That be our prayer and our worship to you this morning. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.